from Stone Mountain, Georgia, this is The Bryant Land Show, hosted by proud Gamecock and South Carolinian AB3. Wherever you may be listening to this show, hopefully you are drier than we are in Georgia, man. It has been rain, 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 go away, come back in the fall when we need you for food plots. <laughs> anyway, welcome to another episode of the Bryant Land Show. Thank you for taking the time. Thanks for making the download, joining this show today. But man, like I said, it's been raining here in Georgia, floods and things like that. So hopefully wherever you are, you are getting a ray of uh, sunshine. Turkey season is on the horizon. Definitely looking forward to that. Can't wait to get out there and get after uh, some turkeys, chase the turkeys. Hopefully I can get one down with a bow or a gun this season. But nevertheless, before we can get to all of that, I have a great show for you today. I have a guest. His name is William Bubba Ray from Power Circle outdoors the chief the grand pooba the head if you will of power circle outdoors joins me today uh just gives me a little background on the whole power circle outdoor family just his life and times as a guide and growing up hunting down there in texas so um it's a really great conversation i'm glad that he took the time to stop by so without further ado I'm going to fall back. You guys kick back. I'm going to mash the old record button here and let you guys take a listen to William Bubba Ray from Power Circle Outdoors here on the Bryantland Show. Bryantland. All right, I finally have been able to pin you down for... A few minutes here, Mr. William Bubba Ray from Power Circle Outdoors. Man, we've been trying to get together, trying to get together, and you fish hard. Like, we, you know, messages going back and forth. You're like, I'm fixing to go fish. You know, I'll be available later. Then I have something going on. And then you just like, you know, we try to reschedule whatever. And you're like, you know, I'm I'm fishing. So you you out here, you you fishing hard. Are you catching them? I, what you got going on? Can Do I need to come down there and get some fish? Like, what, what you got down there? Oh, yeah, we fish hard. I've been uh, between duck season and turkey season. I fish hard every year. I'm down in, I'm located between Houston and Galveston on the coast of, uh, we fish the uh, Galveston Bay Complex and uh, all of them down the Texas coast, but we chase trout redfish pretty hard. I've been uh, a, a charter captain for uh, since 99. Wow. So, uh, redfish tournaments and all that, so up out between the hunting and the fishing, you know, we, we chase them pretty hard. We never quit. So, uh, duck season was kind of Got a wind down for us, and we we go immediately back into fishing full 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 tilt again. So uh, when we was trying to schedule up something, someone's calling me pretty much every day, every other day, want to go chase fish. <laughs> we go right back into it, you know. We don't miss no. We try not to have no downtime. Hey, ain't nothing nothing wrong with that. Now before 
I get into, you know, like your chartering and guiding and stuff like that. I was reading your bio on your website and it said you started basically hunting and fishing when you was eight. But when you hit about 16, that was when the fishing obsession came in. Take us through, like, how did that start it? Like, when you were eight, was that, like, just with squirrels and stuff? Or did you just automatically, like, hop in to, like, deer and fishing? And then what caused the obsession uh, with fishing? Okay. Uh, to cover what you're saying, uh, my father uh, and my grandfather on my mother's side were both avid outdoorsmen. Uh, my dad was a small game hunter, uh, and he, had, he ran dogs. Uh, he had rabbit dogs, coon dogs, and squirrel dogs. So that was pretty much my introduction into the outdoors. And uh, my daddy raised uh, registered coon hounds and beagles, and he hunted them. Uh, up until probably about uh, 10 years ago as he got up in age. We, he did competition hunting. We did, uh, you know, family hunting, too. And then he also uh, would kill coons and squirrels and rabbits to sell. And uh, he sold the hides as an as a offset of his income. And he, he got me into the hunting aspect. And then my grandfather on my mother's side was a fishing person. He was a fisherman, so again, about the same age group, around eight, nine years old, grandpa would take me fishing, so he introduced me to fishing saltwater. So uh, and it's part of the key because my grandfather didn't hunt but fished, and my dad fished, hunted but didn't fish. So <laughs> they would just. So that's why I got my outdoor upbringing. Plus, on top of that, uh, I don't know. I'm a little older than you. I'm 57. I don't know how you are, Adam. Yeah, um, I'm 42. Like you might do. Do you remember the uh, Wild World of Sports Outdoors used to come out on Saturdays? Oh, yeah. Yep. Why the uh, ABC Wild World of Sports? That's right. So that, watching, watching a few outdoor shows back on those days, I was always just fascinated with it. I would, uh, I can remember Saturday mornings, waiting for it to come on, wouldn't miss sitting in front of the TV, you know, watch it. And then after would, the shows would go off, I would ask my mom and dad, why wasn't any brothers on it? Why would anybody look like us hunting and fishing? But I knew that Dan took me hunting, and I knew my grandpa took me fishing, you know? Mm. And uh, I would say then at an early age, I said, that's what I'm going to be. I'm going to be a professional outdoorsman. And they would just kind of laugh at me and Boy, you gonna go to school and get your education. You know, you know, you know the whole routine. We oh yeah, because you can't do both. Yeah, and I, I, I would tell them, no, no, really, that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna be a professional outdoors. And uh, you know, it, it just took us the, the love from that. And uh, I can remember my dad buying me the first 22 pistol. I mean, a rifle. And we went out to a lease, and he set up some cans, and you know, taught me how to plink at them. And then. Uh, I think the first thing I shot was a squirrel. And uh, I was probably around 10 or 11 when he let me finally shoot something. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. And the first animal that I took, it might have well been a 20-point a, 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 a deer. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Just excitement. You know what I'm saying? 
Now, were, oh. are you an only child? Like, were, did you and your brothers go, a brother and sister go um, with y'all? Uh, I'm, I'm the baby of three. I have an older brother who is uh, about two years older than me. Then I have an older sister. Uh, now, my sister didn't, didn't ever get into the hunting or the fishing, but my brother, he will, he will fish. He tried hunting, but he was unfortunately blessed to be allergic to mosquito bites. Oh. I think I can remember uh, going out with my dad on a coon hunt one night, and the mosquitoes were atrocious, and they ate him up. And he broke out, and he was whelped up for looked like a week or so, and that was the end of him hunting. Uh, he just, he just, he's one of his, his body just couldn't take the mosquito bite, so uh, he he didn't. But me and my dad, we hunted and ran dogs and did competition hunting uh, up until probably my early forties. Oh wow! And then, bred and raised dogs went to uh, field trials and UKC hunts, and then we we were small game hunt. Then, I guess around sixteen, I was always fascinated with. It. I would find uh, Field and Stream magazine, Sports of Field. I'd read every hunting magazine you could see, and and that then uh, because. Uh, the family owned a construction company or whatever. I uh, got me a truck early in age. At 15, I got my learner's permit. And then at 16, I got my license. My dad bought me a truck because we had a construction company. So when uh, we wasn't playing ball or whatever, I'm driving the truck to the woods and to the water. Mm. And uh, he, he, because I was raised in the woods hunting and fishing, you know, he trusted me that not to get in, in, in a bad predicament. But at age 16, I was going out by myself hunting and fishing. Wow. When you say competition hunting, what kind of hunting competitions were y'all in? There's a, you, if you, if you hit a United Kennel Club, I'm sure, you, you, you call it UKC. They had uh, UKC coon hunts, what they called night hunts, where you ran your, uh, we ran uh, walker dogs, which were tree and walker coon hounds and English coon hounds. And it was a competition where you go out and you run your dogs uh, in a point system. And uh, it, it was hailing night and there were clubs set up. And you go to a hunt, you pay an entry fee, you run your dog. And it, it's a point system where it's, you turn a cast consisted of four dogs. And they had a judge in there. You, Turn your dog loose, and the first dog to bark on a on a trail of a coon. Mm-hmm. It was hundred points for first, seventy five, fifty, twenty five, and then the first dog to be cleared tree. Whether you know you got to cool up the tree, you you have to know your dog, and when it would bark tree, you get the same thing again. Hundred first, hundred seventy five second, fifty third, twenty five uh, for fourth. Where you had a time period where it would be like. Two and a half, three hours. At the end of the night, they tally the points, go back to the clubhouse, and that one of these hunts, it may be two hundred dogs. And uh, when you get back to the clubhouse at night, everybody tallying their points, and you had uh, plus points if the if, if your dog treed and the coon was there. You had minus points if the dog did something that was uh, not 
the roof. It was a tree that couldn't you, you could tell uh no coon was there, it was just no no leaves, no land. Right. And if it was a hollow tree or something like that, you got circle points. But it was a point system and uh after a while so many uh points you win for at the end of the night, a first place is worth so many points, second, third, fourth, like that. And during the course of the year, you, you accumulate points and you become, uh, your dog become champion. Uh, you became what you call a night champion, uh, show champion, stuff like that. So we raised UKC Coonhounds and uh, we tried those and ran them in competitions for about 20 years. Man, that is awesome. That is- uh, we, uh, I think over the course of the year, we, I mean, I couldn't tell you. We probably raised two thousand dollars and chanted out ten or fifteen of them. And it, it, it went to all the way to a world championship that was every year too. It, it's still going on today. It's a lot of people. It, it kind of died off when deer hunting took over. Got real big. Right. Uh, deer hunting is the, the property is still like that. But back those in those days, it's like late seventy, early eighties. A good coon dog could run you four or five thousand dollars. Wow. And then there was more use and more of a trade for, like, the pelts and the furs and stuff back then, too. Yeah. Back then, uh, uh, a uh, pelt that was in fair shape would bring you anywhere from 10 to $15, $18, but a good pelt would bring you 25 to 30 So we go out some nights and might you know, harvest four or five coons. Well, you made you $150, $200. So, I mean, we worked during the week, hunt, Friday, Saturday, night, Saturday. My dad could go out and eat, eat with him because he owned his own business. He might go once during the week, too. My dad would offset the income for the family. Sometimes he'd make an extra five, six hundred dollars a month selling pills. Wow. So, you can't, you can't, definitely can't do that. Today, well, I shouldn't say you can't, but the the value for the pelt is not what it used to be like it was back in them days. You got all that faux fur, and then you got your tree huggers out there now. That's it drove it down. But I said, my dad actually would do that. He was we had a big. I can remember vividly. He had a big deep freeze in the garage, and he would we kill the coons, take them out. He would uh, skin them out, uh, stretch the furs out, get them in good shape, and roll them up. And then uh, he'd freeze them. And they had a uh, fur buyer that would come by once a month. Uh, it was always on a Saturday evening. And uh, he would let us know that the buyer was coming. And we'd pull them out and let them thaw out and brush them up, make them look real pretty. And, uh, yeah, he might get a check after the guy comes and grades them out and all that. Mm-hmm. He might write a check for four, five, six hundred dollars So then... Uh, he would always throw me a little change because I'd go help him, you know, hunt cones and all that stuff. So that was indoctrinated to being in the woods. And then the thing about it, hunting cones were at nighttime, so it made it real easy for me to, to transition to being in the woods and in and, and night and traveling or walking, you know. So I I, I never had a fear of the woods because I started so young in the woods, especially hunting at nighttime. And see, that that's an interesting thing because, you know, when you trans translate that to now with especially with a lot of like young hunters or people that didn't grow up hunting, kinda like myself. Like I didn't grow up, you know, hunting. I grew up around it, but you know, my dad didn't really hunt. My great aunt uh took 
would take me and my cousins fishing, but didn't really grow up, you know, like you say, around or in or grow up in the woods. And the first thing that someone will say when I tell them, you know, that I hunt or whatever, they're like, well, you ain't scared of being in them woods. You ain't scared of being in them woods by yourself, even in broad daylight. So it, it's just interesting, you know what I'm saying? Because like you say, you grew up in it, you out there at night, you chasing coons and everything. You got no fear because you grew up around it. I'm just like, it's something that I want to do and I'm going to go do it. But it, it's funny that, you know, that's what people relate that to. It's like, well, you're not scared being in the woods, or especially, you know, down south and, you know, all the bad history of things that have happened in the woods to black folks. But Still, you grew up around it and no fear. Yeah. Uh, now, like I said, but I'm, I was blessed that my dad, he he was actually raised in the country, but he moved. We we were raised suburban, but my dad was, uh, he, he's a brick mason by trade. So uh, we were raised, uh, my dad was raised rather in a small town called Brenham, Texas, but he moved to the Houston area. And but he always uh, remained his love for the outdoors and hunting. And once he moved to the city, he never stopped. He never stopped. He always hunted. So he, I guess his dream was to have his sons follow him, you know. And I was dad's, you know, he was, I had to follow him. He just, I, when he would go hunting and I had to go to school, I would mad and I was crying. Mom would argue with me, boy, you got to go. Now I want to go with daddy. I want to go hunting. So, uh, you know, am I scared in the woods and being being raised is a good thing? But I tell everybody, it's a, it's far more things in the city to be more scared of than what's in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I said this stuff in the woods not gonna do nothing to you. Uh, the biggest thing you learn over here is to be very respectful of if you hunt and fish, you know that. Just be respectful of the water, be respectful of the woods, but. Uh, I tell most people, common knowledge and just common sense will get you through all situations out there. Have I tracked through the woods at night and got turned around? Yes. You know, do you have to stop several times a year to stop and gather your thoughts and, and kind of listen to your surroundings and okay, okay. Because especially at night running coon dogs, they may strike a, a, an animal or something and run four, five, six, seven miles before they get, and you know, you're walking behind them at night with a flashlight, and you got to, like, you get to the tree. Now, where's the trunk? It was very simple. You stop, stop. We used, I learned, he taught me how to use a compass, how to navigate at night with a compass. We learned how to uh, listen for road, you know, uh, car traffic, a train. So he would do stuff, small stuff like that when we get to a particular uh, area that we were hunting. You know, where we're going to walk in southeast. There's a train to the north. So you know if you get a train, go opposite of the train, and that'll take you back to this road. Uh, there's a right-of-way right here. Look, you, you can see that beacon light over on that uh, uh, radio tower, stuff like that. So you always, you know, learn how to how to navigate by, okay, there's a tower. I went in this way, the tower. Keep it on your right side on your way back. Put it on your left side, and you'll come back to the truck, or you'll come back to the road, you know, stuff like that. So... With that being said, it taught me how to maneuver myself at nighttime, how to use a compass, how to look for light beacons, how to look for, you can hit maybe a creek, you know what I'm saying? Yep. You know, the creek runs from 
here to here to this property. So if you get turned around, find the creek and head back east or head west, it'll bring you back out to the road. It's simple, you know, stuff like that. So that 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 has always stayed with me. So I've never ever had a situation where I panicked in the woods or anything like that. So I think it's a blessing because, like me and my wife, now my wife is suburbanite to her heart. You know, she's not going in the woods. She's not doing it. She will eat wild game though. But uh, I tell her all the time, I say, let me have the apocalypse or something. I'm gonna be fed. You will be over here hungry. You ain't no store. <laughs> <laughs> but it it goes back to you know what you're saying is it's woodsmanship and and just learning you know survival skills and stuff. I can remember my dad. My dad uh, drove truck for a living, and the thing that he always taught me, and it serves me well in the woods and outside the woods, is landmarks. Like just right. remember, you know, landmarks. You know, like. This tree, this ditch, you remember crossing through this briars and stuff like that. I mean, just just simple stuff like that. But so it, it, it's funny to hear you say the to hear you talk about that. Exactly, exactly what I was, I was hitting on. Uh, remember, there's a big tree right there. There's a uh, a hill over there. You know, you would this, uh, uh, the creek goes this way. The creek runs that way. So I mean, you know, this way water's running downstream. You know. And just simple stuff like that. And uh, now I've had some 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 instances in the woods where we get a little bit turned around. Just stop a minute, gather your thought, check out these surroundings, you know. And uh, you know, he taught me to keep a compass on me at night and stuff like that. And, uh, I, I, I'm blessed today that I say, fifty-seven. I've never had an incident where we really got into any kind of situation. Man, that is that that is a blessing. That is definitely a blessing. So you go from with your dad and basically learning the woodsmanship, learning being in the woods. Like you said, he would turn you loose out there uh, with the trucks and stuff because you guys had your business. When, about what age was it that you started like guiding and started making a living in the outdoors for yourself? started my guiding in 99. That's when I actually went to school. I got my uh, captain certificate. I started fishing before I started guiding hunting. I went got my uh, I went to uh, U.S. Coast Guard School. Mm-hmm. Took, took my uh, captain's class. I, I, I have what you call a six-pack license. Uh, started fishing guiding first and then my fishing customers became my hunting customers because it's just a natural progression. I have, you know, a half percent of most people that fish hunt, most people hunt fish. So that's how that, that came in, in, into play. Uh, and I think I did it about seven to ten years later than what I should have done it. Mm. Uh, I listened to a lot of people around me who were telling me I was crazy to, to do it. I was uh, I had left my my father's business and went into the petrochemical industry, working out in refineries, and uh, they were like, "You gonna quit this job to go to take people hunting and fishing? You got to be crazy! You know, you got to be sick!" And yeah, and I always thought it was my calling because the hunting and fishing always came natural to me. I was 
good at it at an early age. Uh, you know, as it, 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 anything, you find your comfort zone in. You know what I'm saying? Right. I could find. I, I was real comfortable in it. Uh, it got to the point where guys down here would call me and ask me where I've been hunting and where I was fishing at because they had customers. And I'm always like, well, the professionals are calling me. Why can't I do it? Well, even in that genre, in that, in that scenario, I'm talking about all these guys are white guys. I'm talking about, you know, in the professional guy been in the last 10 years, there's been an influx of uh, uh, minorities coming into it. But in the late 70s, early, it was, all, it was a, a, a white-oriented business, you know, knowing that this was a white guy. But they were calling me, asking me for advice. Man, where'd you catch these at? Where'd you shoot those at? No, you, you, so uh, I was telling friends and family that's what I wanted to do, and they were telling me I was crazy. And even some of my uh, uh, white counterparts, and I was telling them the same thing, I, that I was crazy to try it. And I would ask them why, Adam, and they would tell me simply, and just to be just blunt with it, they told me, black folks aren't going to spend the type of money it's going to take you to sustain yourself, and white people aren't going to use you because they, they don't think you have the knowledge or the skill to do it. Mm. And that perplexed me. And I was like, this here, I said, wait a minute, explain this, this simply to me. If Joe wants to go catch fish, and I can take him fishing to catch fish, why would he spend money with me? And if Sally wants to go shoot ducks or shoot a deer, and I can take him to do it, why wouldn't they go? So... I actually uh, battled that situation for about seven, eight, nine years. But you were, get, you were still able to be successful, and even though people were still, even though you were successful and had, you know, was building a client base, there was still questions or still, you know, naysayers. Yeah, naysayers. I tell you what, I, I tell you what, I did to, to try to check myself during the. Uh, Fishing, I started first. I got on a on the fishing circuit, right? And I was uh, fishing with a, a, a white friend of mine who we were pretty close. And I would tell him all the time, I said, man, let's enter some of these tournaments. He was, oh, man, these guys are good. I, I feel like we good. <laughs> oh, man, I don't know. I think these boys. I said, man, let's just give it a go and see. Well, you know, in some of these fishing terms, they have a pro side and amateur side, right? Right. So I thought, well, so let's just enter the term on the amateur side just to see what we would do. We had a little small boat at the time. Okay, let's try it. The first tournament we, we, we entered, we took first, second, and third in three divisions. And we were fishing out of 16-foot aluminum boats. And when we got back here, all these $30,000 boats and $40,000 boats and these yeah, I sit around looking at me, looking at us. I'm like, I'll never forget this oh, This one white guy came over there. He walked around that boat for about 20 minutes. He come back and looked at me. He said, I guess it ain't the boat, is it? <laughs> <laughs> and guess now, not. I'm, guess not when you got more when you got more fish than he do. Yeah, so uh, I, I kind of opened my eyes and I said, we can, can you can compete. But it's, it's the same attitude as like in with Tiger Woods and golf and Serena Sisters and, and tennis. Until you have the opportunity to actually, on an equal, equal playing field, show yourself 
and see if you can, can do it, you don't know. And then when you get an opportunity, you go like, wow, I can do this. So I started, what, what gave me the courage to do it is I started fishing terms and I started weighing them along with these people I've been reading in magazines. I have fish right now with some people that you see on TV, the Bass Pro, Pros and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about and just got at them. I did a TV show, Adam, about, let me look at this, it's on this calendar right here. What year was it? Let me look at it right now. It was in June of 2008. I was, I got a lot of uh, industry sponsorship. Mm-hmm. I was working for a team and Berkeley's and all those companies. Well, we we went to the Chandelier Islands off Louisiana to do, do, do a TV show. And one of the one of the main sponsors sent me there as their pro to represent them. We met in Biloxi. We had a pre production meeting and we sat there and we talked. And when I got there they okay, now we had been email corresponding about this, this, this shoot for about three months prior. Well, they heard Bubble. I guess they figured the Bubble was a white guy. When I showed up <laughs> Can we help you? <laughs> you got to see the look on their face was just, it was just, it would have been taken back, you know? So we sit there and we start the meeting because the other guys, they say, who are you again? I'm Bubba Way. I'm with Fish and Hunt. I'm the, their pro to be you know, represented on this, on this television shoot. And they, was, they, they still couldn't get it, right? So we take off on a, on a, on a three-day trip to, to, to capture this show, right? And uh, I don't know, you know Denny Brown? I'm not familiar. Bass. He's a he's a big time Bassmaster. He fished the Bassmaster Elite Series. He's won the, the Classic and all that. Okay. Well, his son was on this show. He was the host of the show. So this same way, we're gonna go out. And there's an article written in Martian Bayou Magazine, and a, and a, a, a outdoor writer covered the whole event. When I tell you I did the boy bad the whole weekend, I mean, just beat him up bad. <laughs> I probably caught 50 fish to his five. Caught how many to his five? 50 to his five. Good night. And when we got back to to, 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 to the host, it was a mothership that we hosted that we'd come back every evening and go over everything was going on. And the sponsor was there. I saw that and I said, well, it, I, we got enough footage today to, to make the show. What do you mean? I said, oh, man, we smacked him today. I said, I probably put 30 fish on the, on the boat today in front of the cameras and all that. And let me tell you exactly what the gentleman told me. He said, do you think it's ever going to be aired on TV? I said, excuse me? He said, don't get this messed up. This is the Chad Brown show. It'll never be seen. Because mm. you, yeah, mm. you, you can't show him up on his show now. He told me, and it never did. When that show came, got edited out. I guarantee you. I, I, I'm looking. I have a the the, the the magazine writer did the article, sent me the article, and he tells me me and my friends his name is his name is Sonny Schindler. He's out of Biloxi. He goes, I'm writing this article. And I'm gonna publish it the way I seen it. And it's on my wall right now. I got it framed. He goes, he said they wrong why they did that. I said, but it just goes back to some of 
what this country's been about over the years for a black man. I mean, when you when you catch that many fish and you don't, I, when I say no air time, none. Jeez. Not not a second. That's crazy. But you like he like he said he is because you showed him up and you you went out there and outfished him. It's funny because I was talking to um one of my podcast guests when I did the um with Corey Bryant. Uh, from Buckwild Hunting Club, and he was telling me, you know, how they would go to these clubs before, you know, join these clubs and whatnot, and they basically would kick them out in the club because they go in there and out hunt everybody else in the club and kill more deer, more hogs, and more turkeys than anybody else in the club, and they told him they can't come back. So that's how he ended up going, you know, back and uh, starting starting his own club. It's just... Little stuff, stuff like that is is bananas. Really, look, I said I've been I've been a professional outdoorsman. Like I said, I got my catching license in '99. It's 2020 now, and then I I went into hunting. It's the same scenario with hunting. Uh, well, I've I've got a deer. I've done got a hog. I've done my biggest is waterfowl. I think waterfowl hunting is probably the most fun any person can do. With their clothes still on. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you qualified that with your clothes still on. But it it's true. I was talking uh to a fellow the other day and you know, I love deer hunting. Like I love but but that's because I like being to myself and I love the solitude that comes <laughs> with deer hunting. But waterfowl, any kind of like duck goose hunting, it's a camaraderie. Like, you don't have to be, you know, as quiet and, you know, sh- you can, you can, it's a fellowship. It's a camaraderie when you in a blind or in a pit or, you know, yeah. in a boat with a bunch of, bunch of guys and gals where as deer hunting, you know, it's more personable. It's, you know, one-on-one, you know, that solitude. But yeah, I, I thoroughly it, agree with you. I think deer hunting is more you and your skills against the animal and then, Waterfowl and bird hunting is more of a, of a social event. Uh, you know, you can miss a duck, and then all the guys in the black can hoorah you and, and rash you and give you a bunch of mess, you know. Mm-hmm. And it ain't no big deal. Ain't no big deal because in five minutes, he's going to smoke ducks, you know what I'm saying? Right. But in deer, you might be looking at this deer for a whole season, trying to pattern him, trying to figure out his movements and all that. Then the opportunity of uh, presents itself. There you are at 15 to 18, 20 yards for a shot. You about ready to squeeze the trigger or pull up, let go the, the a release or something, and a bird hits the tree or a squirrel, and bam. You know, that animal's gone, and you're like, what did just happen? <laughs> right. I think it's, I, I have both of them. I enjoy both of them, but I just like to come to see. In my group of guys that we help with, we give each other so much mess, you know. We got we, we to gotta saying you got to have thick skin to hunt with us because if you miss, we're going to give you the blues, you know what I'm saying? And when it comes together, it's, it's just a, a lovely time. But uh, same way with fishing, we just like to give each other a rash of mess, you know. And uh, it makes it fun. Keeps, keeps, it keeps everybody on the head. So. But now I would deer hunt. I will... 
my dream animal, to be honest, is a red stag. Mm. That is my dream animal. I think I'm, I'm at, at, and, and since I'm in my fifties now, I'm making a point to go to destination hunts and do stuff like that. I'm supposed to be on my way back from Mexico right now. Five guys in my group, uh, they should be getting back to, 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 to the States this evening. They've been in Mexico for five days. And my passport didn't come through in time, so I'd have been down there. Duck hunting in uh, Mexico? In Mexico? Duck hunting and warming hunting. And uh, I sent my, my uh, uh, passport off like right after Christmas and tried to get it expedited. It didn't come in in time. Mm. But uh, Chancellor, Ron, Ty, uh, Ken Fer- no, yeah, Ken Ferguson, who is uh, five, they went to Mexico to a nice lodge down there. They've been down there since Friday. But like we travel now, and uh, we could it was waterfowl in the morning and varmint hunting in the evening. Man, that's we could county, but we we making a point to travel and do stuff. But uh, like we're going to Canada. In September, for five day hunt, we tried to uh, decide whether we want to go to Brazil or New Zealand. I really want to go to New Zealand to do a red stag and a waterfowl hunt at the same time. Uh, I've heard a few people talk about New Zealand as a destination it, hunt. I think. Um, when I was talking to my taxidermist a couple of weeks ago, I think him and his wife supposed to be going over there doing the destination. But I, I've heard New Zealand, um, Argentina for ducks, I heard was really good. Argentina is, 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 is a good one for a waterfowl, too. Uh, the, the New Zealand is actually a hidden gem because in, in New Zealand, when the waterfowl season comes, they actually shut down the cities around there. And for like three weeks, they have certain towns. It's all everyone does is waterfowl. And there's no limit there. And they shoot mallards just like they do here. Wow. And up there, you can get the red stag, the tar, which is the uh, their version of the big, not the big one, the uh, mountain goat. Theirs is called a tar, and then uh, they have a black swan that you can, it's the only place you can kill those is there. But I, my taxidermist, who I use down here in uh, Texas, they're uh, sportsman wildlife artistry, Mr. Joey Lesh and his son, Joe Lesh. They went four years ago, and uh, they got a top 20 red stay gold medal. And then they shot like 200 ducks and geese in like two days. And, uh, did he? Now, did he kill the the stag with a bow? No, they shot him with a rifle. Rifle. Uh, okay. Now they have the stag that you can take by bow, but the tar is pretty much a rifle hunt because they're so far up. They actually have to lift the the, the, the tar down by helicopter. Cause they're so high up in the, in the uh, Rocky. I saw like the Rocky Mountains live here. Mm. So but the stag has been in uh, uh brushy area, not not so much heavy timber, but more of a brushy area. And you can actually 
track those and stop those and, and take those with the boat. But it just depends on the quality of the animal. A, I mean, if you really ever looked at them, the crowns on a uh, gold medal stag is, uh, I think that's the most majestic. It looks like an elk on double steroids, you know what I'm saying? Right, right. <laughs> so, uh, my nephew, Keith is one of the guys in, in the power circle, they went to South Texas uh, last, last weekend, weekend before last, and one of them shot a stag here in Texas, and they shot a Neil guy. Uh, but but when the stag probably was, let me think, probably a nine by nine, which would be, if it was an elk, you'd be like, whoa, you know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. You know, like nine, ten by ten. Well, it looked, to me, when I looked at this rack, when they sent the pictures to me, it looked like a, just a, a, a American elk, a good American elk. Well, you go to New Zealand, you look at a stag over there, this thing could have 30 points on one side and the crowns, you know, a real good one. So uh, me and the wife has talked about it. And she, you know, she goes, if you really want to go over there and get one, save your money up. And see if, you, if you really want to go get that, that is the one hooked animal that I really want. I have guided people on 180, 90 class whitetail. Mm-hmm. They just they they impressive, you know. I I look at them. That's a good. That's a good deer, but it just don't it just don't move my blood, you know. <laughs> Which and I mean that, but that comes with experience and just being being yeah. out there. Yeah, you know, uh, my nephew guys with us too now, and uh, he's got into some with some with some other guys with uh, ranches and stuff. And then. In Texas, they've got into so many so much high fence uh, ranching around here now that you can grow these deer. He went on a hunt two years ago, and he took the smallest deer of the day, and it went one sixty five. They had eleven hundred and thirty some inches of bone on the table with seven deer. Think about that. That's crazy. But like you said, that's that's. It was a couple of twos, you know what I'm saying? Right. And he took the, the smallest is a 165, and that's a deal of a lifetime for you, more than average deer hunter. You I know was what about saying? to say, that's a deal of a lifetime for just about anybody. That's a deal of a lifetime. He took the smallest deer of the day at 165. And then watch this thing about this here. On that particular day, the guys on the ranch that they were gathering on, when the deer stepped out, these people... Watch these deer so closely, they never saw that deer on the property. So what, what, what deer is that? They on the walkie-talkie calling a different blind, taking pictures of their cell phone, saying to other guys, another blind, have you seen this deer before? Have you seen this deer before? Have you seen this deer before? My, my nephew told him, I tell you what, if he comes out again, I'm, I'm going to let you see him up close. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I'm, you can come and examine him for you. Man, we call it ground checking. He said, tell me a lady come out. I'm going to let you ground check him right quick. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. So, now you keep mentioning the group and the group, and I've done my research, so I know what you're talking about, but I want you to let the folks in, let people in 
on Power Circle Outdoors and just what that is. Because, I mean, it it's almost like some Avengers, Voltron, like, kind of stuff, man. It's like where you just got, like, all these talented people, professional and amateurs, just bringing their skills, and y'all have come to form, like, this mega team, like this super team almost. What is Power Circle Outdoors and what what is it all about? Okay. Um, as I got it over the years, I found out that, like you say, there are black guys across the country. As I traveled doing tournaments and guiding and meeting guys, that people, like-minded uh, African-American men, that wanted to hunt and fish, but they found out that in their particular area, they felt like they were the only person that was doing it and what we consider a high level. And uh, I would meet, say, you, Adam. Man, good to meet you. I'm glad to meet you, brother. You we in South Carolina or whatever. We need to get together. And we go and I travel to Louisiana. I meet a couple of guys in Louisiana. I meet a couple of guys in Mississippi, some guys in Arkansas. Like this. I, I would say that it makes no sense for a group of guys who have the same interest, like-mindedness, and not two resources that come together, be it hunting, be it fishing, or whatever. And uh, as I became a professional, I have a lot of younger brothers that come to me, too, that we would like to learn. And uh, I would always tell them this one thing. I don't mind teaching any of you guys anything I know about the hunting and fishing, but we have to keep a, a, a point of integrity to be able to carry this on past us because tomorrow's not promised to any of us. So with that being said, I want to be able to leave a legacy behind to carry this on because I know for a fact that in years gone by, black people hunted for support, not sport. Right. Um, a lot of black people who own properties across this whole country were so ready to get away from the country because of how we were treated back in the days, and we gave up our properties. And, and my family is a prime example. My my uh, dad's side of the family actually owned about 400 acres. And uh, when my great-grandfather passed away, gave it to my grandfather, all the kids was it's like we were we tired of farming, we tried to raise. They gave up the property, and now... It's owned by other folks, and we can't even go out there. I have well, my ancestors are buried there. So, with this being said, I sought out to find as many black guys as I can that were on the same kind of thought process, uh, and let's try to put together something that we can show the skill level that we have, and uh, be a force to reckon with that we can show the industry people that. We have a voice, we have the skill, we have the knowledge, we have the ability to learn and do this at, at the, the type of level uh, to compete with others. So with that being, uh, with that, well, what is this? I, um, let's say, started from the fishing side. My son and my nephew, who is, I basically raised and trained, they are some you know, very avid outdoorsmen. I've, I traveled to Arkansas over the years, uh, hunting up there. 
Antonio Jones? Yep. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, he just passed away, I believe, like late last year. He, he was part of the power circle, Antonio Duckman Jones. He uh, introduced me to several other black guys in Arkansas who were avid outdoorsmen. And we formed Bond hunting up there with him and found the same thing. He goes, man, well, I didn't know there were no brothers in Texas. I just thought it was a couple brothers right here. I said, well, I know another brother in Louisiana who, who uh, waterfowl hunts and deer hunts and stuff like this and going on there. So, uh, bring them into the fold. And it, it, it really started out with just a couple of buddy hunts. You know what I'm saying? Right. You, you know what a buddy hunt is? We sit down while we hunting. And the best place to find a person out and, and get to know them is in a blind. You know, sitting in the woods. After you come out the woods, sitting on the tail end of a truck and kind of talking. So, we met uh, in Arkansas. We met DJ Smith. We called him Big D. Uh, AJ uh, Mays, who is actually on the Bass Pro Circuit, and he's a big time waterfowl and deer hunter. Uh, he became part of the group. Uh, Sean McKesson, which is DJ's cousin, he helps, he helps form it. He's a deer hunter there in Arkansas, duck hunter too. Then we met Manuel Rock, who was in uh, Natchitoches, Louisiana. Met him. Uh, we started. People, I, I have a follow like on my Facebook page and my IG page. I have five thousand followers now. So guys would hit me up and ask me some questions about hunting and fishing. Well, man, you out of Louisiana, Louisiana, he came aboard. Um, then with that, we, I said, well, now I need to switch switch out and branch out and find somebody from, from like Pacific Coast. Well, I met Chance, Chancellor Archie. He's a IT guy. He was in the uh, Portland, Oregon area, out there hunting and fishing, blacktail, waterfowl, stuff like that. Got to converse with him. Well, his skill level, he's around 50 years old. Then, this is one of the guys that was actually in the Rodney King uh, investigation, a gentleman by the name of uh, Ron Kelly, who was a detective in L.A. Mm-hmm. We got to talk to him, share some stories about hunting and fishing. And, uh, hey, he's on board. He's one of the guys... He goes, man, the same scenario over and over again, Adam. Man, just, ain't no brothers out here to hunt with. Ain't no brothers to fish with. Well, here's my group. You want to join? Pull them in. And uh, I almost forgot my, my dog trainer, Ken Ferguson. I don't have any more uh, coon dogs or rabbit dogs like this, but I got in the waterfowl, so basically I wanted to get me a lab. So with that, uh, buying these dogs, I said, man, I want to find a brother who trains dogs. If I'm going to spend my money keeping it in the community, right? Right. Researching around, researching around, I ran into this gentleman in Texas, Kenneth Ferguson. He owns a kiln and a dog training business called Feather Chase Water Dog LLC. Actually, his name is Kenneth Ferguson. Met him, gave him a call. We we sat on the phone. It seemed like the first conversation we had, I called him around 7 o'clock at night. And when I looked up again, it was 11 o'clock. We've been on the phone. Hours talking, hunting, fishing, dogs, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I told him, I said, Well, look, I'm finna purchase me a puppy, and which is about he's probably six hours from me. I told him, I said, I don't care what I do when I get this puppy, I want you to train. I got my puppy, 
It's funny how it works. I got my puppy. My son bought two at the same time. Uh, another member of the, of the group, Frank Avery, he had a, had a young dog. We sent him five puppies last season. All five puppies are retrieving ducks now. Wow. <laughs> Dang. The five puppies, my female has already got her first title. He said, I don't even, he goes, I don't even want to just train your dogs. I want to put them in field trials and put titles on them and checking these dogs out. My female, he kept her for six months. She got a started dog title in two, two field trials with perfect passes. Uh, Frank's dog is two for two. DJ's dog is two for two. My son needs to, is going to do his in February. So out of the puppies, they're all doing fantastic getting titles. Uh, in my group now, we have $18. All registered uh, retrievers. So when we go to these field trials, again, it's the same scenario. Only brothers there, but we pull up. Good dogs, nice trucks. You know, the way you're supposed to look when you show up there. Right. And they say, what are y'all doing? Well, how many dogs y'all running? We got 18. We don't run six, seven of them a day. And when, when the trial is over, we all walk away with ribbons. Look good, you, you know, play good. Look good, you play good. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> play good, they pay good. That's what Dion say. Yeah, I'm trying to make sure I ain't left nobody. Frank Avery, he does the cooking. He's, he's an avid uh, cook. Ty Wagner does all our internet uh, website stuff. He's here local. Um, Ron, the guy from California, he's, he's an avid uh, wing shooter, gun, gun enthusiast. He can tell you. Anything you want to know about a shotgun, loads, how to have your gun worked on, have it more accurate. Uh, my nephew Keith is the bow hunter. Uh, John Kyle's also a big time bow hunter. He owned a bow shop, brother owned a bow shop in, in Texas. Uh, Keith's the dog trainer. Myself, my son, my nephew, we all average professional fishermen. So when we thought the power circle was, let me, let me, let me cover this right to right clear. We got the, I got the power circle one day. I was thinking of the Knights of the Round Table. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What this concept is, you know, if you ever notice, if you, you know, you do history, King Arthur said, let's get a, a round table. So no one is at the, actually at the head of this table, which means this is a, 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 a tight-knit circle, which everybody joining, bringing something to the table to make that, that circle stronger. And that was the whole concept behind it. Uh, and why we call it the power circle team. You know, whatever your strength is, and that's what we try to do when we set up hunts, uh, uh, different activities, whatever your strength is, we want you to be the lead in that activity. If it's bow hunting in South Carolina, well, we need to talk to Adam. Adam's the guy over there. If it's the archery, archery contest or whatever it may be. Well, we're going to fish over here. Well, we're going to ride with, with – uh, Manual over there because he's in Louisiana. Uh, in Arkansas, that time we got to talk to DJ and AJ because that's that's that specialty in Arkansas, you know. Uh, whatever. Wait, so that was the concept of doing 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 the power circle. Uh, we wanted to find some people. Uh, whatever you whatever whatever your tool is, whatever your specialty is, whatever you can bring to the fight, bring to 
a mighty bottle, but open hand. No, can't go too far. So we wanted to build a, a tight knit circle of brothers across the country to, 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 to build this, this organization and try to show that we can do something. And with that, we have started filming and capturing uh, content and dropping videos. I told you the other day, we try to drop a video every 10 weeks to two weeks, to 10 days to two weeks. We shot a bunch of stuff just at the close of Ducks in Hand, Texas is going to be coming out real soon. A uh, couple of guys are, that actually do all the editing is in the uh, Mexico hunt. We'll be dropping the Mexico footage here soon and starting to fish and stuff. So uh, now we're trying to, what we're doing now is trying to build relationships within the hunting industry and outside and to try to find uh, sponsorship to help us cover some of these endeavors and, and do some stuff. To, and then not only to show our people and other people that we can do that and there's a viable resource and there's a, a viable industry and there's a lot of money and knowledge out there that can be uh, both learned and shared. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. No, because I've looked at, you know, a few of the videos that you guys put together, I mean, production, is awesome, you know, everything, sound quality, video production is top notch. And it just goes to show, you know, I come from a TV background, you know, in sports television, like I was, you know, we was talking about before. But nowadays, I'm always just impressed by the stuff that people make and put out and the following in that the following that they generate just off of social media and doing their own stuff. You know, back in the day it was all about, okay, getting on TV, getting on TV, getting on, you know, sportsmen, getting on outdoor channel, uh, you know, stuff like that. Those things are nice, don't get me wrong, and it's always gonna be great to be on TV, but you almost really don't need TV if you got good quality product and you got people to help you push it out there, you can put it out there. Like you don't have yeah. to just wait around for that. You know, there's several people, especially with, like, YouTube and Vimo and all that kind of stuff. You know, you put your stuff together, you get it out there, and if it's good, people going to naturally gravitate to it. Yeah, that's, that's what we, 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 we were dealing with. It, it's a process of growing pains and learning as we go with this here. With a group so large, this is what I've learned. As, as, a, as the leader, uh, we're dealing with 13, 14 guys, a lot of alpha males, trying to they, they, they have been used to doing stuff on their own. And now we got to work as a cohesive group, so we've been going through that. We had an opportunity here uh, about mil- like pretty much the beginning of the season to do a uh, television series with, with, with some guys. And... I don't think it got to the point where it was exactly what we wanted our content to do. They were wanting to do more of a reality-based show, and uh, they was trying to control the content because we were still trying to make sure that we uh, dropped our YouTube stuff and our IG stuff stuff uh, on, on that ten to two week, ten day to two week uh, basis, and they were trying to hold a lot of content. So we decided to move away from that and just to keep doing our own thing for right now until we find the, the proper niche for where we wanted our stuff to go. 
But with that being said, we also, it's a learning curve. I can say, what am I? A hell of a hunter and fisherman. Am I a TV guy? And a, a, uh, man, you tell me learning camera angles and lighting and, and the proper equipment, all that is, 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 a, is a job. And we learn as we go. And uh, editing and stuff like that. So uh, we've been looking for a couple of guys that could help in that department. So we found one, but uh, you know it's it's it's, it's on on the fly type deal. But we 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 gonna we gonna make it happen. No, it it is definitely from the content to the entire package of everything that y'all put together. I mean, it's first class. So there's no no doubt in my mind either that you're going you're gonna to get it to where you need to uh, get it the way you want it to and the way it needs to be. So Yeah, we uh, we went out in the, uh, about a third of the group invested in high-end cameras. We bought a lot of ADD cameras, stuff like that. And now we were trying to figure out, they say that Sony now has the best video cameras out as far as Recording, so now we're looking at doing some stuff like that, getting some funny, uh, a little bit like what is it, six K and eight K cameras and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, they with those those high grades of, you know, four K and six K and stuff like that. I I don't know. Um, I've always kind of been of the the mindset. I mean, when you're looking at videos like on the computer and and stuff like that unless you have like a 4k tv or like a you know 4k computer screen a lot of times that stuff doesn't really translate like it's good to shoot it in that format but it it doesn't really translate unless the person has or is watching it you know on that 4k platform uh sometimes i think it's more hype than anything else that and again that's just my opinion i mean you know, good good old HD still looks good, you know, but it's technology. It's always changing. It's always evolving. So it, it's better to stay ahead of that curve than to, uh, than to be playing catch-up. Right. So that's, that's one thing we've been looking for, trying to get as much advice on that side. And I guess one thing that we've been wanting into is that we got to go to our contemporaries to try to get a lot of information. Or just do a lot of online research, and uh, I would say that this is Ken Ferguson, uh, the dog trainer, Ty Wagner, who's uh, watched it, did the website. Uh, Donna McCullough, they've been uh, really trying to get that going, and stay with it because I, I would say as, as one of the elder statement, I'm one of the low tech guys in the, in the crew. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> But like you say, everybody got their specialty. You, your job is to put people on the deer and the hogs and the fish and and stuff like that. That that's your job, and you got somebody that can come in and shoot it and film it and make it look good. So there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, so, 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 so we try to find people with with the skills to do whatever we do to, to, to make it work. Uh, so. Uh, takes a lot of dedication that you got to be prepared to go and capture content. Uh, it, I tell you what, what our biggest transition is knowing that every time that you go out, you got to have some camera equipment. 
uh, something that you got to be prepared to to to, uh, to capture this, this this moment because it seems like when you're not prepared is when everything comes together. You oh, know, you know, definitely, so, definitely. <laughs> you know, you you just like I can get off of work. I still run the construction business too. You know, you know, I'm gonna run out here for for a couple of hours this evening. I'm not gonna take no camera with me. I ain't, I ain't, oh, then it's one of them epic days. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh my God, why? It's like, why y'all didn't film that? Well, we didn't know it was going to be this way, you know? Yeah, so. it it takes a real dedication, like you say, to to do that. Because even, you know, like when I first started, you know, I would carry a camera and tripod, and I just, you know, basically regulated myself to hunting from blinds just because it was easier to set up the camera and stuff. But, man, it's like, okay, like I, it's cool to get started get kills and stuff on camera, but I'd just rather go and just enjoy it. And I, I've slimmed my setup down so much. Like, I got a Tacticam, like, on my shotgun when I go goose and duck hunting. It still looks good. I got a Tacticam on my bow when I go deer and hog hunting. You know, you make a shot, it still looks good. And then I have little tricks and stuff that I use with – um with the game cameras and stuff, putting them on the ground, like if you want a different angle or something like that. So I, I try to keep it light. But like you said, when you when you filming professional and you making, you know, lots of videos and pushing out, you know, tons of content, you you always got to be on. You got to have a camera or something with you. Uh, you hear something? Uh, I'm on the text cam team, right? And I was shooting like two seasons with text cam. And my guy Ty on the team does a lot of he cannot stand it because it, it shakes on the shot, right? Right. Yeah, that vibration. But uh, yeah. the, so, the 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 newer ones they starting to get kind of better with it though. Yeah, right. So that's what you're saying. Like, but that's part of the realization of the shot that it's, it's gonna jump. You know that's the shot. We argue about it all the time. I don't like it. You know? I'm like, yeah, but it's the shot. I don't know, I don't like it. I don't like it. So we go back and forth about this. Well, now, uh, what's the other one? Shot cam? Uh-huh. Yep. We, we think about buying a shot cam. It's supposed to have a lot more stabilization. Uh, but then, again, like, I think one of the best hunts, you probably saw one of the hunts if you look at our page. We did an early season kill hunt where we killed a bunch of some good drones. For each other. But we did a hunt about two weeks after that. It was, was a phenomenal hunt. I mean, he's... It was a hunt of a lifetime, and we just, you know, you, you ever notice a lot of these videos are going toward public hunting? Yeah, public land, yep. We did a public land hunt. Well, Devin Lambert is the youngster in, in the team. He is probably one of the brightest young outdoorsmen I've seen in years, and he is a average public land guy. But... Devin probably weighs 130 pounds, soaking wet. <laughs> got lungs the size of elephants, you know, and he can take he can take off through the marsh and go two miles before you he even take a breath, you know. When you're out there trying to lug my 57 year old 250 pounds, but through the woods, he went out there in his hunt, and we was in a in a lot of water, and we had to put up uh, marsh dudes and others. And we got there. Uh, time goes, man, I'm not putting all my equipment out and this stuff is going to get it. Just, lo and behold, it was one of the best hunts I've ever been on in my life. And all we got was about 
can't steal photos when we got back to the truck. Oh, man. <laughs> if I can tell you how good the birds work and how they came in from the right angles and the kill shots were perfect and all this here, and you're like, well, what y'all do? When we was being on video, and we, know, we, we get between ourselves, and go, man, it's just another good hunt because we didn't capture it. But it takes a lot of dedication to know, okay, you got to lug all this stuff in. You got to set it up. Like you said, you know, most hunters try to figure out if I get to the blind, 5 o'clock is plenty of time. They like to 5.30. We can set up. But when you're trying to capture it, you got to put an extra hour on all that. You know what I'm saying? Yep. If you're going to set it up and, yeah. Check the camera's angles right. Make sure you're not this and that. Double check this and double check that. You know, make hey, it never fails. You get halfway out there, batteries. Oh, she got to go back Gotta walk back, get a battery. Right, need a battery. Lead on and left the tripod. and had the wrong tripod head. Bought the tripod out there with no tripod head. Like just all yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, it's an extra layer of stuff oh. that you that you got to be concerned with. And that's that's what that's what growing some of the growing pains we're going through this year. We sitting at the truck, man. We got to get going. Oh, we ain't got to look. You got to once you get there, half of us setting up to hunt, and the other half is setting up. Like you say, be a sponge and and soak it all up, Mister Mister Will. I'm gonna have to get out of here and get you out of here. But before we go, man, let everybody know where they can find you know your YouTube, web, Instagram, all that. Man, give give everybody the knowledge so they know where to go and find you. Okay, everybody out there listening, you can go to Facebook, the Power Circle Outdoors, YouTube, Power Circle Outdoors. IG, Instagram, Power Circle Outdoors. Also, uh, you can look at my own personal at uh, Bubble Ray's Professional Hunting and Fishing on Facebook, Instagram. Um, look at any of those links. Hit the share button, like, share our videos. If you didn't want to contact anybody about duck hunting, fishing, uh, waterfowl, hog hunting, deer hunting, whatever, please reach out to us. And one of the team members, like I said, is 14 of us. Someone will get back to you uh, within probably an hour or so. And that's what's up. I I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. I, I love what you're doing, and uh, you definitely have our support over here at Bryantland, and hopefully we'll talk soon, and then maybe we, I can get to Texas and uh, get out there and check y'all out. Come check us out. If you got anybody out there listening, got a good hunt or good Thank you, Mr. Well. I'll talk to you soon now. Good luck. Appreciate your call. All right. 
I want to take the time to thank my guest, Mr. William Bubba Ray, stopping by this week uh, for the Bryant Land Show. I uh, really enjoyed my conversation with him, talking to one of the uh, OGs, if you will, to this uh, outdoor industry. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. Before I get ready to get out of here, just going to remind you guys again, bryantlandcountry.com, bryantlandcountry.com, the website, everything, Bryant Land, podcasts, videos, merch, blogs, whatever you need, Bryantland-wise, is on the website, bryantlandcountry.com, one-stop shopping, as I like to say, for everything Bryantland. As for me, I'm going to go ahead and get ready to get up out of here. I am looking forward to bringing you guys another excellent, phenomenal piece of podcast audio next week. Cannot wait. Guest to be determined. I'm trying to get better at uh, foreshadowing or uh, promoting, I should say, uh, the guest for the uh, next podcast. So guest to be determined next week. But make sure you tune back in right here on the Bryantland Show. I will see you guys next week.